You know, as we were uh, praising God in those lyrics uh, just a little while ago, I, I tell you, I was just moved to see uh, Jennifer Greer up here just praising God, worshiping God, as this week uh, two of her nephews were in a horrible sledding accident and, and just uh, still hospitalized. And, and uh, you know, but, but for her to be up here and to say, hey, I still will praise you. I tell you, that's, that's what faith is all about. That is what faith is all about. This is why it's so important, I think, to be around people who are just, are, are worshipers, that no matter what the circumstance is, we just know we have a very good God. Amen. You know, we go into a, a time of offering, and, and uh, you know, at times, for those who are unfamiliar with church and the family of faith and and all of that, you hear of offering and you go, wow, this is just a time a church is always asking for money. And it's like, no, this is a time of embracing God's invitation for you to take joy in the, in the, in the trusting of him for our resources. Even especially when times get a little bit uncertain. God is so glorified when we just said, Lord, I just, I trust you to do with this. And, and if you ever, ever think here at Grace Spring, this is a ploy to uh, ask for your money or more money. And we just say, wherever God leads you, to give, direct that giving because you are giving to the Lord. You're not giving to this church, you are giving to the Lord, and it is an act of worship. And so, whether you are here in person or online, man, we just want you to participate in the joy that comes from obedience to our, our holy God. <sighs> Now, I hope you are continuing to read through God's Word. By this time in the year, you are probably at some very interesting places, and you feel like throwing in the towel. Any of you ever feel like that so far? Oh, come on. You can be honest. You can just say, what in the world is this all about? I just, I, I love that we can be honest here. And, and, you know, today is no exception. I get to talk about Noah's flood. Okay, now, Noah's flood, how in the world did this become a children's story? <laughs> I, I mean, have you ever, when you were reading through that, you go, what was the committee that sat around a table and said, hey, you know what, this looks like a great kid story to me? I mean, imagine the confusion when you get your, your books and how to raise your kids and in the faith and studying God's word. And you say, okay, kids, come on, gather around for our, our evening story. We're going to talk about how God regretted that he made humanity and killed everything. Yeah. All right? Isn't this going to be fun? I mean, it'd be the equivalent of getting kind of one of those uh, mobiles that, that, that hang over the crib that would be the four horsemen of the apocalypse. I mean, it's like, let, let's get real. This story is tough. And what makes it even more difficult is I have 35 minutes to cover four chapters of God's Word. Four chapters dedicated to this. But, you know, as you were reading through the story, and I always encourage you, minimally make sure you are reading what we are about to get into God's Word through. And so this, this story of Noah, um, it, it forces some questions, some theological questions for sure. If you are engaging your brain as we encourage you, as you're reading through the Scripture, engage your brain, you might have some theological questions. 
The very first one being this, if God is so good, how in the world? Why would he have waited to reboot when there was approximately at least one billion people on the planet? Why not just, after Adam and Eve sinned, why not just reboot at that time and say, okay, let's start this thing all over again? See, God has a plan. God has a purpose. How about historical questions? Uh, the entire world, I mean, right. I mean, maybe this was a regional flood. No, but God's word is clear. That word for flood is the, the word specifically for this kind of worldwide flood. Um, there's 150 different flood accounts in different civilizations, and each one, there was a family that survived. So um, how about logistical? How could all of the animals fit on this thing called an ark? Uh, you know, so people have questions about this. Um, a rational question I have when I read the story is, why would Noah allow cats? <laughs> I, I mean... Really? Uh, now, I know I'm going to get some hate mail for this, so, uh, but seriously, it's just like there's an opportunity right there. But um, anyway, I want you to uh, turn in your Bibles um, as we look from ruin to restoration. But uh, again, there's aspects of the story that are confusing, and, and uh, I, I, I want to r- remind us of something that Pastor Jeremy covered last week. With the introduction of sin into the world, there is a theological term, human depravity. And, and, and Paul refers to this in Romans where he says, For all have sinned and fall short of what? The glory of God, the reflection of God, that it is sin that has just so infiltrated our, our, our bloodstream that uh, we're not sinners because we sin, we sin because we are sinners. We are all born into sin. This was not a disease that quarantined itself in the life of Adam and Eve. This is, this is handed down. Um, but John Piper, um, a, a popular theologian, says this, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And, and I remember in college reading this for the first time and just go, man, I, I, I totally agree with what he says, that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. But I also see that the inverse is true, and we see that here leading up to the flood, that God is least glorified in us when we are least satisfied in him. And I think so many times we like to think and we have to understand that our, our hearts are deceptively wicked according to what Jeremiah 17, 9 says. That we can convince even ourselves seated here today or viewing online or listening online, we can be so convinced of our own goodness, our own righteousness. Man, look how good I am. But then so many times we can look into our lives and go, but am I satisfied in him? 
And we're going to look at that today in an amazing way. Look in your Bibles. In, in Genesis, <clears throat> from, from last week, uh, we, we see sin enters in the world, Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 4 is, um, I, I mean, it, it's Cain killing his brother Abel. Then you go down the family tree, then you have um, Lamech, and in verse 23, he, he sings a song about killing a man, uh, actually killing two people. I mean, he sings a song about killing. I mean, things are getting really bad. You have uh, Genesis chapter 5, you got uh, descendants, and, and when you look at that, you see the average lifespan of everyone listed there is about 900 years. How many of you wish that you could live to be 900 years? Uh, no, uh-uh. But that's how this was at this time. I, I think there's some things in our um, environment here on earth were very different pre-flood than they are now. But, you know, we have Methuselah. I mean, I mean the oldest uh, man ever. Um, it's just like, Wow. But, you know, we have our own Methuselahs. In fact, Irene Stearns today, no, actually, yesterday turned 99. Irene Stearns, our very own Irene Stearns. Now, she's not gimping along. She is feisty as all get out. And if you want to wish her happy birthday after our second service, I believe her family is going to bring her out in the car. And for those of you who want to drive by and wave to our own Methuselah. I, I can give her grief, but um, but anyway, there's there's all this that happens, and and uh, but then we get to uh, chapter six, and this is where the terminology gets tough. Here in Genesis six verse five, Genesis six five, follow along with me. It says, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And now I want you to think about that. He's talking about all mankind. We're talking about close to maybe at least a billion people at this time, that the thoughts of everybody went against the laws of God. Were they great image bearers? No, they were not. I, I, and then it gets even more shocking. Then you get to the next verse, and it says, And the Lord regretted that he made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. It grieved him to his heart. I meditated on that this week. How often do we think of our God being a grieving God? And how much what he sees on this earth throughout human history grieves him? Now, remember back in creation, God created man as an overflow of his love in his own Godship. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit said, let us create and let us share in the beauty. Let, let's share in the beauty of relationship. And now because sin comes, it, it, it taints everybody's heart to the point where it, it grieves him to his heart. 
Now, grieving here, this is a very, very difficult word. But this word for grieving is also used in Isaiah 54, 6, where it says, For the Lord has called you like a wife deserted and grieved in spirit, like a wife of youth when she is cast off. That's the same word for grieved. So what the text is saying is that when God looks at the depravity of what sin is doing to mankind, it grieves his heart. It grieves his heart to the point where a, a, a wife is grieved that her husband left her, despite saying, yes, I, I, I love you, yes, for better or for worse, and then he abandons. It says this is how God is feeling at his creation. I want you to feel the gravity of that because I know so many times in these stories, we, we think Noah is the central figure of the story. When God, we, we, we learn so much about God in the story. The first thing we learn about God in the story is that God judges sin. You, you look in verse 11 and it says, now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and the earth, earth was filled with violence and God saw the earth and behold it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh for the earth is filled with violence through them. And then he says, behold, I will destroy them with the earth. He says, everything with breath, but he says, with the earth. I tell you, I, I'm not going to get into so much detail that I, I know for, for many who are so intrigued by the science of all of this, I would encourage you go to Answers in Genesis. Answers in Genesis is a great resource and scientifically backed. I think so many times we think that the word of God and science are, are mutually exclusive. They are not. I tell you, the beauty of creator God and what happened during this judgment of the earth was catastrophic. I mean, catastrophic. In fact, it is believed that the, the landmass of the earth looked very, very different, that the atmosphere was very different. And so here, God is saying that he is going to destroy, he is going to have a means of salvation, which is an ark, and he is assigning uh, this guy Noah to do something, which verse 13 says, I will destroy them with the earth. Who's he talking about? I will destroy them with the earth. There's a play on words here in the Hebrew. The Hebrew, the word for destroy is mosh heat. And it says those that destroy. And basically what God is saying is I will mosh heat the mosh heaters. I will destroy the destroyers of which everyone is playing a part because of sin. 
And so I tell you, this, this is very violent, but it says God judges sin. But second, what do we see? That God extends grace. This is so very important, everybody. This is why everything in today's story is preparing our hearts for taking communion together as a family of faith. Because everything in the story celebrates this second truth about God, that God extends grace. His grace is going to come in the form of an ark. And remember Cosmo years ago, what's an ark? (laughs) I I mean, what is this thing? Why would you build this 500 plus foot enormous ark? uh, deal. What, what is this? What is the purpose for this? Down in Kentucky, you have the ark exhibit. This is a, a, a picture of the ark outside and, and inside. And, and I tell you, it's, it, it, this, according to God's word, took a hundred years for Noah and his family to build. That's a long time, a hundred years. Can you imagine what that was like for a hundred years to take the ridicule. I mean, again, remember, what are Noah's sons? Ham, Shem, and Japheth, okay? They probably got picked on for their names, right? Okay, I mean, that's bad enough. Now, dear old dad is constructing something out in the middle of the wilderness with no water around. And you've got this monstrosity. It's huge, huge deal. In fact, to put it to scale a little bit, uh, that is our Grace Spring facility. And we kind of put, yeah, it's about a, how, how, how long the arc would be. I mean, just to give you a matter of perspective, it, it's big. It's big. It's huge. But now the question for us is this, though. Um, why did God pick Noah? I mean, look in the text. Well, why, why did God pick Noah? Well, verse 9 of Genesis 6 says this. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. What does that mean? That Noah was blameless in his generation. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean he was without sin? You know what I love about God's word is if... You go back to the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews, uh, you know, you have the hall of fame when it comes to faith. You got the hall of faith. And you've got these characters listed in the hall of faith. And here in the hall of faith, in Hebrews 11, verse 7, it says this, By faith Noah, being warned by God, being warned by By God, concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. It it says by faith that it, it is in responding to what God says is going to happen. He says judgment is coming. But there is going to be a means of salvation, and I have called you to spend a hundred years of your life constructing this thing. And what's going to happen is everyone is going to ridicule you. They're going to laugh at you. They're going to demean you. They're going, man, you have lost it. 
And if everyone's thoughts and intentions continually were evil, I'm sure it was no fun to be Noah or his family. But here's what made him righteousness. It wasn't he was perfect, he was upright, and so God chose him. It was that God chose him, and in God choosing him, it made him upright. It made him, okay, God, I can trust you. Now, for those of you who read the end of the story, it's really not great for Noah, is it? I mean, the last thing in the Noah account after a year of being on that ark and the, the, the floodwaters subsiding and getting the family out of the ark, you'll see uh, Noah, he's going to end up drunk, stumbling through the community. And it's just like, wow, <laughs> that, that was quite a reboot, God. <laughs> I mean, that's the best you could do. No, here's what Noah was. Noah was found faithful. He was the means in which God would extend his grace by, the way, by way of the ark. But then here, as the story continues, if you were to continue reading on chapter 7, you go, man, all, all the animals come and, and all of this. Again, answers in Genesis has just a lot of explanation. But I want you to notice in, in chapter 7, verse 16, it says, and the, the Lord shut the door. Noah and his family go into the ark. All the animals are in the, the ark. And it says, and God shuts the door. And once that door is shut, it is shut. Oh, folks, could you imagine the screams going on? Now, I tell you, it says that Noah and his family went in and everything didn't start for about seven days after they had gone into the ark. Now, I want you to think how humiliating those seven days could have been. Could you imagine? Okay, let's get into the ark. God shuts the door, and all of a sudden for seven days, nothing happens. How foolish they must have looked. But then all of a sudden, when you read through the story, you will see that the, 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 the fountains below broke forth. In fact, some believe that that is not when continental drift happened, but continental sprint happened. That there was just something where God had in his creation, he knew this time was coming. And judgment comes and water comes quickly from under. And I tell you, that must have been so loud. Then you have the flood waters coming. Then you've got the rains coming. So you've got water coming from both directions. This was violent. But Noah and his family and the animals are tucked away safely from the judgment of God. And I want you to think about that. This whole idea that God judges and in God's judgment, he always provides a way of escape. That is the grace of God. And so what happens is after a year of being there, on the ark, they're finally able to come off. And in Genesis chapter 8, verse 20, the very first thing that Noah does is Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. 
Well, earlier when those animals were coming in, they put uh, more of these clean animals that was going to be for this moment. So for those of you who said, well, he didn't plan ahead. No, he had planned ahead for this moment. And then this is where it gets shocking. Verse 27 or 21, it says, And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. And then this line, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. See, God makes a promise. And when he goes on, when you read through uh, chapter 9, you get to this point of chapter 9, verse 9, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds and livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. He says, I will establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God says, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. And then he says this, I have set my bow in the cloud and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Notice this covenant is with all the earth, not just knowing his family. This is benefiting everybody. And we read that in our Bible readings, and we go, okay, well, that's the rainbow. And yes, the rainbow is a sign, but that word for bow is gesed. That is a war bow. I want you to think about that. Basically, what God is saying is that I am hanging up my war bow. I will not judge in this way again. And I want you to consider for a moment the look of that rainbow. And if you, if that was a war bow, to what direction would arrows be shot? Down at humanity or up to God? Have you ever thought about that? Here's what God is saying. He says, because I've entered into my covenant with you, in the very same way when we see the covenant that God will enter into with Abraham, you see that God, he is the one who is initiating the salvation and he is the one who promises that he will do whatever it takes to pay the price. This picture is a portrait of what God is going to do ultimately to redeem humanity. You see, sin here, I mean, again, as you read through the story, sin is still alive and well, isn't it? It's still alive and well in Noah, still alive and well. You go, man, I, I, th th this, this did not do anything, it appears, to restrain sin. But that's the beauty of this fourth 
what we learned about God. God makes a provision in the cross of Jesus. See, here in Noah's story, we see the beauty of Jesus coming, Jesus coming in a way that offers a better ark. Jesus was the one ridiculed. He was the one that was scorned. He was the one people were looking down on. His body was the one broken. And then listen to what God's word says in 2 Corinthians 5, 21. It says this, for our sake, that's you and me, for our sake, he, meaning God, made him to be sin. Who is that? Jesus Christ who knew no sin, God in the flesh, so that where in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's in him. It's in the better ark. Jesus' body is the better ark. We find ourselves, we enter into him In John chapter 10, you have the imagery of a shepherd, but it's the imagery of Jesus saying, I am the door for my sheep. I am the only way in. I am the only way through. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father, but how? Through me. It's, it's when, you, when you dare say, okay, yes, this might look foolish. This art to the people around looks foolish. Why would you need such a contraption? Well, this is going to be the means by which God extends his grace so that when the cries of, of judgment, of agony come, God has made a way to rise up, to rise up in the midst of, of even all of that pain. And we find that through Jesus Christ. Isn't that good news, folks? That is so great. In in fact, uh, the apostle Peter, he uses the story of Noah in in 2 Peter. And I would encourage you, read through 2 Peter. And in 2 Peter 3, it says this. It says this. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. This is the heart of God. For a hundred years, God brought about a construction project through his servant of faith, Noah. And for a hundred years, there was an opportunity for people to say, hey, no, why are you doing this? Well, God's judgment is coming on the earth for our depravity, for our sin, but he's providing a way of escape. There was a hundred years, but instead there was a hundred years of scoffing. But I tell you, today, today, the same is true. God's word says that Jesus Christ is going to come back. He will come back, but not as a suffering servant as he did the first time. He is going to come back as king and Lord and do away with sin and death once and for all. 
Jesus Christ is coming and will do that. And it's been 2,000 years and people are starting to scoff and say, well, nah, he ain't coming back. Man, that is foolishness to say Jesus is the only way. That is foolishness. That's what the world says. But in the meantime, we as a people, we cannot interpret God's patience as his tolerance of this evil that is destroying creation. He is going to deal with it once and for all. Oh, folks, Jesus is coming back. He is coming back. But 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The cross is the power of God on display. And he invites you and I into this. And so my question for you before we prepare our hearts for communion is, have you entered into the ark of Jesus? Have you entered in? Or are there still parts of you that are just scoffing and say, no, 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 that's ridiculous. No, the world says there's many roads. Jesus and the word of God says, no, I am the way, the truth. I am the door. You enter through me and you enter through me only Jesus Christ. He is the ark of salvation. He is the means of God's grace to deliver us from the certain loving wrath of God. He's made a way through Jesus. Oh, that's such good news. I tell you, what we celebrate here is that in the last two weeks, we've had 11 people come to faith. And we just pray that this continues. But the celebration isn't that you just come to faith. The celebration is like Noah. You just said, okay, God, I know what you've purposed me to do, and I'm going to be faithfully walking in that purpose. So for you, have you entered into the ark of Jesus? Are you finding yourself abiding in him in relationship? And second, if you have, are you warning others to enter in? Are you warning others? Hey, judgment is coming. Well, that's not politically correct today. Judgment, what a mean term. Oh, but God... He has to judge what is destroying his creation. But as a holy and loving God, he always makes the way of escape. And the means by which he does that, that he foreshadows in this flood account, is that judgment is coming, but he has provided a way out, and the way out is the cross. Pray with me, Lord God, I pray. I pray for the one right now who is maybe battling because there are forces right now that do not want salvation to happen. There are forces right now that are trying to convince, hey, life is better outside the ark. But the truth is judgment is coming. Lord, may we not play with your word. May we take your word to heart Lord, God, help us. Help us in our weakness. Lord, thank you. You know that we will always battle with sin because of the sin nature that we have. But Lord, our hearts are to reflect your glory. 
Lord, you are most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in you. And our satisfaction comes in the cross of Jesus Christ, and we thank you. Lord, I thank you for those who right now online or here are, 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 are lifting up their hearts in praise to you for the first time and saying, Lord, thank you for being my ark. Thank you for your salvation. And so, Father, we just give you the praise for the salvation that is happening right now. But, Lord, I pray that we be a people, those that have entered, that we be a people who continue to warn others. Judgment is coming, but we have a loving God who has done what is necessary so that we might escape. Lord, thank you for being a loving God, a gracious God, a holy God. We give you all the praise and glory in your holy name. Amen. You know, today's sermon was entitled From Ruin to restoration. And I think so many times we can focus too much on the ruin part. Where we go, man, I, oh, I've disappointed God again. Oh, I've done this again, or I've fallen into this addiction again. You know what? We've all been there, or we are all there. We're all in this together, folks. This is why we need the church of Jesus Christ to encourage one another that when our circumstances get tough, that we look to the cross and that is where we find our hope because everything on this earth is very temporal. Just for the record, it's very temporal. But oh, life with the Lord, oh, that's eternal. That's eternal. One of our elders is going to lead us in a time of communion, but I want to prep you for an experiential thing after communion that we want to encourage everybody to do. We've got these pages. Of, you'll notice that there is writing on both sides of these pages at these tables um, there in the back that as you get the communion elements, as you celebrate life in Christ, we want you to take one of these pages and, and in a symbolic way of turning the page, we just want you to write a word or a few words that what is it that God has restored you to? And it might be generosity. It says, yes, I, I used to hoard. I used to be all about me, but now I've been saved too. I've been restored too. Man, being generous or, or selfless service. Yes, before it's all about what others can do to make my life better. Now I have been restored. I've been redeemed so that I can reflect the glory of God in pouring into other lives. Maybe you just feel like you haven't been a great image of your creator and you just want to write the word glory. I don't know, but there are, there are pens in the back and markers in the back and you can write whatever these are going to be on display. Don't put your name on these. Just write a word or words that describe what is it that you know in your heart of hearts that God has saved you to through the redemptive ark of the cross of Jesus Christ. Let's not focus on our past. Let's focus on where he wants to take us. John, would you come up and lead us into a time of communion? Good morning.
Brian, I don't know why you wanted me up here. You're on a roll, my brother. Uh, I'm one of the elders, and it's a privilege to serve in that role. And on behalf of all the elders, uh, one of the greatest joys we have is praying for you. It's a group of men that deeply care about you, and uh, we, we do want to know how to serve you uh, better. Uh, but as we look at the coming to the, the Lord's table uh, this morning, communion, the Lord's table, supper, Eucharist. Uh, the early church called it Eucharist. Uh, the Catholic Church calls it Mass. Some faith communities celebrate this weekly. Others are less frequent. At Grace Spring, we, we come to this table monthly. But, but why? What did this come, come out of? And, uh, and in short, Jesus instituted, instituted this himself. We read about it in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And I'm just going to read out of Luke's account. And while they were eating... The, the Passover meal. Jesus took the bread and gave thanks and broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, this is my body which has been broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant, my blood which is poured out for you. He was celebrating Passover meal with his disciples, and there's so much symbolism. We could look at this, and Shay, thank you for putting the link. We did a Passover meal experience last March, and it's in the app, so if you want to take a look at that and look at all the symbolism and the connection that's between that. But what, what were the disciples doing? They're celebrating this Passover meal. What was that? That was a remembrance, and it was an annual festival and feast where they remembered, we're no longer slaves, but we're as children, we're as sons and daughters, we're as chosen people. And they're celebrating that they're no longer slaves, but sons. And it's in that experience that Jesus is making that connection I'm the ultimate Passover lamb, and I have come so that you may have life and life to the full, and he lays that out for them. And so they're coming, and there's so much we can look at, so many aspects we can look at. I just want to look at two this morning. The first is coming to the table. So as I have this table in front of me, the idea of coming to table, there's a root word for table in Hebrew, it's shuhan, means table. For reconciliation, the word is shuhan. It's table. In Arabic, the same. There's a root word that's the same for both table and reconciliation. Why does Jesus want us to come to the table? Because coming to the table is a symbol that we are reconciled. He has done this for us. There's absolutely nothing we could do to come back into that relationship with him. What is reconciliation? Reconciliation is God bringing a broken creation, including our broken souls, back into relationship with him. And we are celebrating that. So why does Jesus want us to come to this on a regular basis? Because I don't know about you, but I need to be reminded on a regular basis I have been reconciled. Because I have done things since the last time we came to this table that made this sacrifice necessary. And I bet you have too. And Jesus is saying, no, no, you need to be reminded. You're not those things. You're what I have done for you. Reconciliation is that it's through him he has reconciled all things to himself, read in Colossians 1.20. Having made peace through the blood of his cross, through him, he reconciles all things. This is why we come to the table. Pastor Jeremy and Pastor Brian over the last two weeks have described it beautifully. One, our condition, and two, the seriousness of that condition but he has made a way. 
but he's done more than just simply reconcile us. Jesus said in John 10, 10, I've come that you may have life and life to the full. It's not enough that he just simply brings us in a right relationship with him, but he's also come to restore us to a relationship with him. The reconciliation was a one-time event. Restoration is an ongoing thing where he has taken the brokenness of you and me, and he is reforming us into the image of his son. And we are celebrating that today. You are no longer a slave to the human condition, but you are free. Nafshi Yeshovev. We read in Psalm 23 where David writes, He restoreth my soul. As Brian mentioned, there, there are pens and papers on, on the back tables. And for those of you on our online community, send in your words. And we, the creative team, will write those and probably better penmanship than I on those pieces of paper. And we'll put it around the, the, uh, the church. Please do that. What have you been restored to? The evil one wants us to focus on our ruin. But the Father is restoring us to a better, fuller life. What is God calling you to? And why does that matter? Because the world needs to see a reconciled and restored church. Because the world needs to be reconciled and restored. And how are they going to know that if they do not first see that? in us. So as you take communion this morning, as you celebrate, as you take place, come to the table of reconciliation, I want you to spend a few moments to think about what do you need to be reconciled from? What do you need to repent of? Turn and return back to him. And it's a celebration. And then what are you restored to? Take a few minutes to do this and Brian will come and close our time.